0: greenie with mike greenberg the podcast
1: back and better than ever greenie presented by progressive insurance on a thursday where we genuinely could not have more going on if you know me and you know this show you know we will spend plenty of time today paying tribute to a legend that we lost yesterday that is most certainly on the way but the football crew good enough to hang out so that's where we will begin here we go, go, go.
0: only one place to
1: start all right I to start is with Damian Woody and Kimberly Martin, our beloved Bishop and First Lady <laughs> of the Get Up family, uh, are good enough to hang out after we wrap up Get Up and spend a little time. I learned a little something about that today. I've, I, 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 what I enjoy most about the program is that I just get to learn so many things. And today I learned what the First Lady means. I did yeah. not know that.
2: Yeah, basically married to the pastor. <laughs> That's right. But That's right. She is the Queen Authority. In the congregation, which is basically how I feel here on the get up set. So
1: well, and that, of that there is no question. We there all is no feel question. that way. Yeah,
3: there is no question. We might have our disputes on set, but I know who's the, the, the final authority. Oh that's right. <laughs> yes, At yes. the end
1: of the day, like everyone gives an opinion and then Kmart tells us who's right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's the way this stuff tends to work. Okay. We got a great weekend ahead of us, and I want to dive into the three really big games. You just smashed helmets on them, and what made me very nervous was the unanimity of opinion on some of these games. Everybody on yeah. our set picked Philly yeah. over Dallas, including you, D Wood. And, you know, the one thing Alan said was that they're, these guys are in their heads. I believe the 49ers are in the Cowboys' heads. I don't think the Eagles are. The Cowboys play yeah. the Eagles well. Yes. They score a lot of points against them. I don't know. I, I don't. I don't trust them. I don't. I don't trust them enough to pick them. But I think the Cowboys play well this weekend. I do too. I do. I do as
3: well. I think the Cowboys play well against the Philadelphia Eagles. Listen, you know anyone who's watched the Eagles this season knows that defensively, particularly on the back end in the secondary, they've been very vulnerable um, to a lot of teams. Um, so I think uh, Dak Prescott and company will have plenty of opportunities going up against that, that Philadelphia Eagles secondary. Now, obviously, they'll be able to rush the pass because they got a bunch of defensive linemen that can get after. But Dallas doesn't fit Philadelphia. Like, they, those games are usually pretty good games. They're pretty pretty close. But I think ultimately, when you look at both lines of the scrimmage, the tear that A.J. Brown is on, and I think that that Jalen Hurts, even with the injury to his to his knee – I think he he will still rise to the occasion and find a way to beat Dallas in this game.
2: Yeah, you know, it's funny. Preseason, I picked the Cowboys to win the division. Um, The Cowboys, year after year, they know how to put a team together. I don't think teams fear opponents in their own division. I think you look forward to that matchup. You know them better than anybody. Um, Last year, I think uh, the home team won. They split and the home team won. Um, I think I gave the edge to Philly because they're at home. And because with the Cowboys it is just I'm waiting to see it all come together. I think the key for me in this matchup, O line has to protect Dak. Gotta keep him clean in the pocket. And I think Dak and C D, they gotta team up for at least two touchdowns. Like that to me is minimum. Those two when they're when Dak is targeting C D eighty two percent they're, com- uh, they're connecting on their passes. I think C.D. is a big part of this offense, and he's going to be one of the main reasons they win if they actually are able to win.
1: What, what I like about one of the many things I like about Kimberly is that you were a psychology major, and I myself <laughs> am fascinated by psychology. How about the psychology... For the Cowboys of finally winning one of these games when they beat the Eagles. You're, you're right. They beat the Eagles mm-hmm. last year, but they beat them without Jalen Hurts. Right. Um, Gardner Minshew started that mm-hmm. game and it was close. Mm-hmm. That, that was a Christmas Eve yes. or something. It was, that, that game was a barn burner. Actually, a great football mm-hmm. game. Um, but the point is they have they didn't beat Hurts last year. They've been they just got obliterated by San Francisco. Mm-hmm. The psychology of this game, I think, is interesting.
2: The reason I said on Get Up earlier is that it's a must win. It's not that if they lose on Sunday, oh, the Cowboy season is over. But it is the psychological aspect of you lose to a team in your division when you already have a worse record, when the expectations year after year is are the Cowboys – they should be – we should be talking about the Cowboys based on the roster as a Super Bowl contender every year. There shouldn't be any doubt about whether Dak Prescott and this defense and Mike McCarthy can put a staff – to put a team together that can win a Super Bowl. And yet still, there are still questions about the quarterback and questions about McCarthy and questions about the offense. And if you call – D. Wood, you call them a front-running team. Like, if this defense gets out, gets a turnovers, Dak can play with a the lead, they feel better – I'm just waiting to see the Cowboys put it together consistently. And that's where I think the psychological piece of it is. It's not about if they lose Sunday, they're done. But it's, again, the questions. What is the, What are we saying? What is everybody in Dallas, outside of Dallas, saying? If the Cowboys go into Philly and lose, what are we saying about Dak? What are we t- saying about their prospects this season? I think that's the psychological aspect of it. I,
3: I think, for me, I look at it as like a this game is like a boxing analogy. Like, we have yet to see – the Dallas Cowboys take a haymaker and get back up off the canvas. Mm-hmm. Like I want to see what they look like when they have they take a take a team's haymaker mm-hmm. and then battle their way back and just and just really make it into a game. Again, when the Dallas Cowboys, they're at their best when their defense is creating turnovers. Yeah. They they jump out ahead of you and then it it almost like takes all the pressure off of Dak. Where he goes out there and plays really well, I want to see him in in a, in a game where it literally it's like body blows. Both yeah. teams throwing body blows against each other, and I want to see I want to see Dak and Dallas prevail. That will tell me a lot about this Dallas Cowboys
1: team. We just haven't seen it yet. I'm also fascinated, Greeny and Kmart and and um, Damian Woody, by the Cowboys staying completely pat at the trade deadline. Mm-hmm. I really thought they might do something. They they continue to stick to their formula. Yeah which is fascinating to me when they have an owner who was as involved as he is, who was as old as he is. I mean this respectfully for Jerry Jones. Mm -hmm. Like if if I have to believe that, I mean, I'm not 80 yet, but I'd, I'd like, I'd, have to believe that if I was 80 years old, I would feel some urgency. And I would think, you know what? If it cost me a second-round pick to get Derrick Henry, and he gets me that much closer to winning the championship this year, I'll do it. And I remain surprised, Kmart, you told us yesterday, they didn't even call. Yeah, the
2: Titans had two calls in on Derrick Henry, and the Dallas Cowboys were not one of them. And I actually in the preseason uh, off season I actually wanted to see uh, Ezekiel Elliott go back to Dallas. I just wanted to see him because I felt like we talked about this Tony Pollard. He he's a finesse guy, you know. He's going to make plays. He's going to get his touches, but you they need a bruiser like well, you. That was the see, one thing like, that we
3: that we talked about. That's one of the things that a lot of people talked about was the fact that yes, Tony Pollard is dynamic, but where's a sledgehammer in that yeah, offense? They don't yeah. have one.
2: Yes. And that's the thing. When you look at Derrick Henry, I understand the Titans did not want to move Derrick Henry. At least whatever the compensation they were, they were offered was not good enough to move him. But you look at the Cowboys, and I, again, I, uh, I firmly believe you build teams through the draft. That's the best way uh, to build teams. But when you look at some of the moves, like even the Baltimore Ravens, like picking up Roquan and like they picked up Yannick. Like over the years, like trade deadline, you're able to pick the right guy, sometimes the right guy for the right situation for the right uh, compensation and it makes a difference. And when the Cowboys in that division with Howie Roseman in Philly, who's literally like stockpiling talent for his team on both sides of the ball that's why I get a little nervous with the Cowboys like what are they doing? The benefit
1: of building a team through the draft is that you can then go out and make a move like this when you want to. They are homegrown. Dak Prescott, C.D. Lamb Micah Parsons, Zach Martin they drafted all of their best players uh, and, and, and by doing that you tend to get them less expensively and so you can go out and make a move for a piece like this that might put you over the top. San Francisco did it and it worked. Philadelphia did. I don't mean that they won the Super Bowl, but obviously McCaffrey made them much, much better last year. The Eagles just did it. They added a piece that they needed. I'm very disappointed that the Cowboys didn't do it. Greeny presented by Progressive Insurance. Progressive makes bundling easy and affordable. Get a multi-policy discount by combining your motorcycle, RV, boat, ATV, and more. All your protection in one place. Bundle and save at Progressive.com. The other game I'm fascinated by, Kmart, what is your game this weekend? I forgot to
2: ask you. (laughs) The shocking thing, I'm going to Atlanta. I've got the Minnesota Vikings, Josh Dobbs. Yeah. Like, against the Taylor, the Fighting Heineke's. In Atlanta, so that that'll be interesting. I'm outside of the Midwest, outside of the Northeast. I, I don't I, know how to act.
1: Do you even know how to get there? Like, I don't. I'm a little. bit be not in I'm so, like, Pittsburgh, or the Cleveland? TSA
2: yeah. agents at Newark Airport. Under, oh, going to Cleveland again, Miss Martin. All right, take care. <laughs> so I'm a little. This is this is weird, but I'll be in a dome, so that's weird. That's no No nice. hats yeah. for me. I don't know how to Okay, okay.
1: so I was actually only asking the question because I you assumed you were I, yeah, going to Cincinnati. Right. I know. Uh, that's. I should have checked that first. Uh, because I want to talk about Cincinnati. Yes. Um, this feels like a very big game to me. Bengals, Bills. Yes. The world is going to make this about DeMar Hamlin, and I understand, obviously. I yeah. mean, the last time these two teams, well, actually, they met a month later uh, in the playoffs, and the Bengals beat them handily. Um, but the DeMar Hamlin factor of it, of course, is what it is. The, thank goodness he's okay, and that's that's the most important thing. But as far as the football piece of this is concerned, If the Bills window is still open, this would be a great time to demonstrate it, it feels like to me. I I find this game fascinating.
2: This is a a statement game for both teams. For the Bengals, obviously, because of how they started the season, how Joe Burrow started the season, and the questions of whether the Bengals would put themselves in such a big enough hole that they wouldn't be able to escape out of, and is Joe Joe Burrow actually going to be healthy again? Well, guess what, guys? Joe Burrow is back. And just watching him in the pocket, how he's able to drop back, move, escape pressure, run around. Like, that's what we've been waiting to see. So that's Cincinnati. For Buffalo, again, I've said, like, their window, when you look at the age and you look at some of the pieces that they have and, and the bills as we know it, being able to keep this team together, I think their window is closing. As long as Josh Allen is in Buffalo, he can win you a Super Bowl but with this roster as it's currently constructed, I feel like the window's closing. You've got Josh Allen coming up, dealing with this shoulder injury, right, uh, throwing shoulder. You've got a defense that's been decimated by injuries. And you're about to face a a Bengals team where the quarterback is healthy and the offense, Jamar Chase, he's open like 7'11", and you've got a defense led by Lou Anarumo who is playing very well. This is going to be a big game for both teams.
3: Yeah, I, I look at this, this Buffalo – you know – I'm I've, I've said it, and I said it on Get Up this morning, if there's a team in the AFC that I'm buying stock is the Cincinnati Bengals. I think they're – I think they – They, in my opinion, they might be the scariest team coming down the stretch mm-hmm. in, in the whole conference. Um, Buffalo, I don't know if they can – I don't know if they can overcome these injuries on the defensive side you know we talked about Jerdavies white but Matt, Matt Milano, Milano was huge. Matt Milano is a was a huge mm-hmm. huge loss mm-hmm. to that Buffalo Bills defense he's all, outside of Josh Allen mm-hmm. you can make the case he was their best player mm-hmm. outside of Josh Allen on that football team they haven't recovered from that mm-hmm. I, and you can't replace a guy like that and so for me i've i've said since that injury Josh Allen basically has to play at like an MVP i think for 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 the Buffalo Bills to overcome those injuries Josh Allen needs to play like an MVP in order for Buffalo to be considered one of these teams that that could vibe for a Super Bowl. Well, That's
1: for sure.
2: Interesting because when you look at their their defense, what Buffalo has been waiting for is their pass rush to show up, which is why you get a Vaughn. But Vaughn's coming off that ACL injury. And you're waiting for guys like Greg Russo, like like you're waiting for guys to to step up. And AJ Epenesa, he he's got he also has to play lights out. Um, because the defense needs playmakers. And again, that pass rush, we just keep waiting to see it. And I don't know, there seem to be, with Vaughn, it seems like we're trying to inch him in slowly, you know, make sure he's good. But this is a game where you need Vaughn Miller to to step up and show out against Joe Burrow. All
1: right, one more thing, I can't have D Wood here without asking a question about the Jets. So when they went into their bye, the Jets now at four and three, they were three and three going into the bye. You looked at the next three games and you said Giants, Chargers, Raiders. Clearly winnable. You've got to win two of those three. Yes. They did everything they could to lose that game to the <laughs> yeah. Giants. I mean, thank. I was one of the most... I don't even know how to characterize it. Was a, it. it was an dis- ugly game. We've moved on. Right. Now they get the Chargers. I hate that the Raiders made the changes they did. They're going to yeah. get better. Yeah. And they're going to be better with Antonio Pierce than, than with Josh McDaniels, and they're going to be better with Aiden O'Connell than with Jimmy Garoppolo. How do you feel about the Jets right now?
3: Listen, I, I think that... The Jets are very opportunistic. Here, here's what I'm saying. They got one of the best defense in the league. They're taking the ball away. grinny, remember, you know, as much as we lauded the Jets defense last year, they weren't taking the ball away. They're taking the ball away this year. That's really been the, the, the you know, one, one big aspect of, of this Jets team. And also, you know, we talk about Zach Wilson. Everyone talks about Zach Wilson. The one thing Zach Wilson is doing is he's not turning the ball over. Mm. He's taking care of the football. So, yes, it might not be pretty. But when you don't when you don't turn the ball over mm-hmm. and your and your defense is taking the ball away, guess what? You got an opportunity to win
1: every single week with that formula. Came out playoffs or no playoffs
2: for your Jets, Green? Yes,
1: for my Jets and D Jets. You
2: know what? I Not think just my think they'll fair fair fair, 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 fair. I think they'll be in contention. I don't know. I think they just missed the playoffs, um, but I think they'll still be in contention. Late in the year, when you look at their schedule, when you look at Zach Wilson, say what you want about him, but the kid, I've actually been really impressed with him because late in games where there are times where he has to put a drive together, he does just enough, and he makes good throws late in games where you think, okay... He's, he's learning. That's good.
1: Yeah, when they unleash him and he has no choice, he actually when plays pretty well. Well, he doesn't have time well. to think. <laughs> yeah, uh, there, it's a confounding situation. We'll see where it goes. Guys, the First Lady, the Bishop, thank you both so yeah. much. Great fun today. Coming up next, we will pay tribute to a legend on ESPN Radio.
4: Go to JetsPizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be. Greeny, the
0: podcast.
1: Greeny with you on ESPN Radio. We are presented by Progressive Insurance, the music choice Certainly appropriate on this day by Cam, as we will pay tribute in 30 seconds to a legend that we lost, one of the most complicated people that I've ever known. We'll talk about it in a minute. Of course, we're talking about Bob Knight. We'll get there after these 30 seconds from AutoZone. Are you dealing with a dead battery headed AutoZone? America's number one battery destination. They offer free battery services like free battery testing and free battery charging. The free battery testing can help you know if you need a new battery or not, if you're in need of a fresh charge. If you do need a replacement battery, they're the only place you can find proven tough Duralast batteries. So next time you're having battery trouble, head to AutoZone, your battery solution, and America's number one battery destination. All right, Hembo's not with us today, uh, but Cam and Bubba are, fellas. And I will do my best here to spend a little time talking about someone that I got to know quite well late in his life. Uh, who we lost yesterday, who was one of the most complicated people that I've ever known. And forgetting my relationship with him because he was so famous for so long that the complicated part of trying to sum up the life and the career of Bob Knight has nothing to do with the personal relationship that you may have with him. Um Going back to the very 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 beginning of Mike and Mike, the very first, I want to say the first few months that we were on the air doing that show was when the Neil Reed thing happened, the, the event where Knight and there was video of it on CNN appeared to grab one of his players by the throat and Reed accused him of choking him and that and that for all intents and purposes ended Knight's run. At Indiana. It didn't happen immediately, but it was never the same after that. It changed everything. And the rest of the story was not always pretty or fun. The rest of Knight's tenure at Indiana, his time at Texas Tech, where he did win some games and did set the all time wins record. Um, But if you go back to the mid to late 70s through the time that he left there, so call it through the mid 90s, Bob Knight probably had the second most significant college coaching run in the history of the men's game. John Wooden will always have to be first. I know that Shashevsky has won more championships, um, but I think you have to put Knight, let's, let's at least say you put Knight right alongside him. The giants of the game, Knight, Shashevsky, Wooden, Jim Boeheim, um Dean Smith, these these are the legendary figures. Knight is right there with any of them. He takes a backseat to none of them in his accomplishments, and his coaching, and his stature, and what he meant to the sport, and and in his larger than life nature. And that's that's what I really want to try and capture for you today, if I can. Like I could read a whole bunch of stuff here. You know that he I can read you that he coached forty two seasons. I can read you. A lot of people don't know that he played on the John Havlicek national championship teams. At Ohio State in the early 60s because he wasn't a star player he was a good player but not a star player the star players on those teams were John Havlicek and Jerry Lucas but Knight was on the teams and won the 1960 NCAA national championship as a player at Ohio State and then won the three titles at Indiana 76 81 and 87 the 76 team remains the last unbeaten national champion in the history of the sport He was the coach at Army in 1965 when he was 24 years old. So when he was coaching Coach K and the others there, he was only a handful of years older than they were. When he retired, he was the all-time leading winner in coaching wins with 902. It was January 1st that he passed Dean Smith, and became the all-time record holder January 1st, 2007. He came on Mike and Mike the next day. So we talked to him the day after he broke that record. He won the um, NCAA tournament as a player and a coach. He's one of two ever to do that, Dean Smith the other. He coached the Jordan 1984 Olympic gold medal team as the U.S. head coach. It's the last team of amateurs from our country to win the gold. He coached in five Final Fours and played in three. And he was inducted into the Hall of Fame in 1991. So those are things I can tell you about him. They're, they're things you can read about him anywhere. I want really badly to try and tell you more than that today because he's someone that I came to know and someone who loomed very large in my life. And in so doing, I plan to make no apologies for him. That Bob Knight was a complicated man. Bob Knight was a person who had a heart the size of the state of Texas and could also do things that were so petty and so, um, so, 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 so cringeworthily small that, that I found it confounding. And I wasn't a person, and I will never be the person who has the stature to ask him about it. But some of the things he did just stunned me and they cloudy what what should otherwise have been one of the great um, epitaphs that we've ever seen from anyone in sports, because I, I think it is reasonable to say that very few people did more for the players that they coached over the course of their lives than Knight did. I spoke to Isaiah Thomas last night, and I ho- I hope that he will call into the show today when I called him in last night and asked him to come on, he said, honestly, I just don't think I can talk about it without, without bursting into tears and, and being unable to go on. That is representative of the way 95%, I think, at least, of Knights players felt about him. And the stories, and you'll start to hear them now, they were not publicized because he didn't want them to be but the story of people's lives that he transformed, former players he took care of forever, the way he continued to be in their lives forever, and then people you never heard of that Knight took care of, took care of medical bills and all sorts of things for people. These are stories that didn't get told because he didn't want them told. He was a person who genuinely did not care if people liked him. It's such a rare quality. Almost all famous people have some place inside of them where they crave to be liked Bob Knight demanded to be respect but respected but he I do not think he craved to be liked and I think that led to a lot of the complicated pieces of him you're going to hear a lot about the bad stuff There's are going to be plenty of coverage of Neil Reed and there's going to be plenty of coverage of his relationship with Coach K and there's going to be plenty of stuff about his the end of his time at Indiana and the way he handled that you don't need me to tell you that stuff. I'm not in any way diminishing it. I'm not pretending it's not there. But I want to tell you a little bit about the person that I came to know. So Knight, for whatever reason, I'll never really understand this, decided he loved Mike and me. He loved us. He came on our show one day before he broke the record. I forget what the what the reason was that he was coming on. He came on the show to promote something. I, I don't remember what it was. We might have been doing, ESPN might have been doing a special about him. I don't recall what it was. And he came on and we, del- we expressed how delighted we were to have him on. Neither of us had ever met him or talked to him. And he said, I'm just happy to be with you guys because I think you guys are good for sports. And that was one of the great compliments. I know I, know I speak for Mike when I say that, um, that we ever received. And as a consequence of that, of his having taken a liking to us for no reason that I can fully understand, he became a regular guest with us. If you were listening to the show back then, you would know he came on all the time. And in fact, the morning after he set the winds record, he came on our show. And I remember asking him that day, you know, you're still a young enough man to have another mountain to climb in your life if you want to, if you choose to, is there another mountain out there you want to climb? And he gave me such a wonderful answer. He said, you know, we climb a new mountain every single year. Every year is different. That's what makes this job so great is that each year it's new people. It's a new mountain. I'm not, I have not climbed one mountain for 30 years. He said it way better than I'm paraphrasing it. But he essentially said, it's not one mountain I've been climbing these last 30 years. It's 30 different mountains. And that was the first time I ever really thought about it that way. I had the opportunity to be with him, Tony LaRussa, and Bill Parcells. What a spectacular—they were best friends, the three of them. And they were—you want to talk about busting chops. They were unreal when you got the three of them together, and they were so close. I'm sure Parcells is devastated today. Um, and everything we'd heard about Knight was that his—we know that his health had been in, um, had been in decline in recent years— so I'm sure there was some element of um, of relief involved for the people closest to him in his life. But anyway, I wanted to tell you one funny story. So, Bubba, what year was the baseball All-Star Game in St. Louis? Whatever year that was, that was when Mike and I were coaching the celebrity and legend softball game. We did that twice. We did it at Yankee Stadium, and then we did it in St. Louis. That, that, that was I think they were in consecutive years. So that was probably something like 2008 or
4: 2009,
1: something. 2009. So 2009 we're, We have the game in St. Louis and Knight was on my team. So my coach is one team. I coached the other team. We had great celebrities in that game. We had John Hamm and Nelly and, and all these celebrities who were from St. Louis and Ozzy Smith was there and all it was just phenomenal. And Knight is on my team. And the, the, um, the lineup, is is printed, Bubba? Were you? Did you ever stand next to Coach Knight, Bubba, during your time at ESPN? I don't think so. No. Do you have any idea how big that man I mean, was? I know he was. He was a very a tall. Bob man. Knight yeah. was a mountain of a man. Yeah. He wasn't just tall. He was huge. He was. He had to be like six four, six five, and he was. He was. He was like a bear. He was. He. He was like standing next to a bear. He was so big. And when the lineup for that game is made. It gets handed to me, just like it gets handed to everybody else. I'm the coach of this team in name only, right? It's not like I sat there and went over and, and made the batting order and decided where I was going to hit Nelly in relationship to Chingy, who was also on my team, or any of the other players. John Hamm is going to hit third. None of this was up to me. And Bob Knight was hitting 16th. <laughs> we had 19 players on our team, and Knight was scheduled to bat 16th. So I'm standing in the clubhouse. And as I recall, that night, everything was delayed by rain. So we were in there for a really long time waiting to go out and play. And all of a sudden, I feel an arm go around me and I'm engulfed. I mean, if you imagine like what would it feel like if a bear wrapped both of its arms around you and pulled you in close, that's how I felt. And I look up and it's Bob Knight. And I looked up and I said, what's going on, coach? He's holding me. And he's got an angry look on his face. And he says, Greeny, I want to talk to you about this batting order. You're the coach of this team? And I said, yeah. And he said, why am I hitting 16th? And I looked up at him and I started, I I think my teeth may actually have started to chatter. I was so nervous. And he had this, he had a look on his face like a ref just called a foul on one of his players that he thinks was a terrible call. He looked like he could squeeze me into oblivion in that moment. And as I started to explain to him that this was not up to me, he started to laugh so hard. And he squeezed me, hugged me, wrestling me around. He's like, oh, greeny, I know, you know, whatever. He didn't, couldn't have cared less where he was batting in the order. And he just he was just busting my chops. But it was so, it was, it was such a great, little uh, distillation of who he was because he wasn't really angry, but he looked it. And in that moment, he seemed to go, he seemed to, to, to just fly from one emotion to another so fast from one very distinct side of the spectrum all the way to the other in the blink of an eye. He was that kind of person. He was a fascinating person. He was a person that when he was in the room, you could not take your eyes off him, no matter who else was in the room. He loved to read about history. He, he, I never, ever, ever heard him talking to anyone socially about basketball, ever. If you went over to him in the hallways at ESPN or at any sort of social function, there was a, a cancer charity event that we did together with, um, I want to say Digger Phelps was there and Billy Packer for 100 years and Knight was there and I was uh, the, the, the host of it. And if you went over tonight and you tried to ask him something about basketball, he would get frustrated with you. He didn't want to talk about it. You know what he wanted to talk about? History. He loved reading about books about war. He loved reading books about presidential history. He 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 was a, a fascinating, intelligent, very intellectual person. And I really enjoyed coming to know him. Uh, so I was very saddened when I heard last night that he had died. Although. Uh, many people knew that he was in very poor health. And if you've ever, if you've seen the video of him the last time that he was at Assembly Hall with Isaiah basically kind of holding him up, you could see that, that um, you know, he, he was no longer, he did not have his mental acuity um, intact in at that point. And uh, from my understanding, it had gone down from there, but one way or another. So I'm, I'm sure there's an element of relief in his passing, but I felt incredibly sad. And again, I want to make it clear, I'm not in any way underselling the importance of the downsides of the man, because they were significant. He was complicated. He was cantankerous. He was at times angry, but he was endlessly fascinating. And if I've always said I'm in the interesting business, I would tell you, I don't know that I've been around more than two or three people in my life that I found more interesting than Bob Knight. So... Rest in peace, Coach. Thank you for the things you taught me. Thank you for the memories that I have. And much more importantly, thank you for what you did for the game, for the sport, and for all of the young men who played for you and were the better for it. Um, Having said that, we have some of his great sound bites here that I thought would be fun to play. So let's let's hear a few of these. Um, And I'll mention, by the way, that one of his best-known players, one of his legendary players, Steve Alford, We'll be on with Carlin and Joe today on ESPN Radio 1 Eastern on ESPN Radio on the ESPN app. But let, let's play some of the sound bites here. This, of course, was the very famous one.
5: When my time on Earth is gone and my activities here are past, I want they bury me upside down and my critics can kiss my...
1: I don't know why we blooped that anymore. That that has that long since ceased to be bloopable. That was 1994. Um, here was uh, Bob Knight saying before the rest of the world knew it that Michael Jordan was the best player ever. The kid is just an absolutely uh,
5: great kid. If I were going to pick uh, the Three or four best athletes i've ever seen play basketball he'd be one of them i think he's the best athlete i've ever seen play basketball bar none if i were going to pick people with the best ability i'd ever seen play the game he'd be one of them if i were going to pick the best competitors that I'd ever seen play he'd be one of them so in the categories uh, competitiveness ability uh skill and then uh athletic ability uh he's the best athlete he's one of the best competitors he's one of the most skilled players And, and that to me makes him the best basketball player that I've ever seen play
1: now people laughed when he said that this was 1984 Bob Knight had a pretty good eye for talent Let's hear one more. This is Night on Motivation. You can talk about all the motivational speeches and phrases
5: and devices in the world, but the greatest motivator of all is your ass on a bench. There is no better motivator. Ass meets bench. Bench retains ass. Ass transmits signal to brain brain transmits signal to body body gets ass off bench and plays better i mean it's a hell of a sequence of things that <laughs> takes
1: place rest in peace coach and thank you for everything this is greeny uh, with a reminder that starting stronger starts at AutoZone, where they've got battery solutions in the form of free battery testing free battery charging and replacement batteries that fit your needs that's what makes them america's number one battery destination get in the zone with AutoZone. <laughs> All right, let's change up the mood. So Cam is here today. Hembo is not. So this one will not count in the standings, but Cam will do a trivia question for us. Take it away.
4: Yes, and it is Bob Knight-themed who won the AP Coach of the Year Award three times. Who is the only coach to win it more?
1: The only coach to win the AP Coach of the Year more times than Knight did who did it three. A this is a
4: men's coaches only.
1: Men's coaches only. So Gino and Pat Summit do not count. All right, good question. We'll come back with the answer next on ESPN Radio.
0: Greeny, the podcast.
1: All right, Greeny with you on ESPN Radio. You can be a part of Greeny Nation on the Dr. Pepper call-in line, ESPN Nation presented by Dr. Pepper. It's not college football season without the delicious taste of a ice cold Dr. Pepper, the one that fans deserve. All right, Cam has uh, got the question today. Hembo is off, and so Cam's got the question. This one will not count towards our overall season standings, but Bubba and Brandon and I will all take a pop at it. So I've got my guess. Brandon, what did you say your guess was? Coach Jay Wright. Okay, so Brandon is guessing Coach Jay Wright. Oh, I forgot to have you redo the question. First off, for those just joining us, Cam, the question again, please.
4: Bob Knight won three AP Coach of the Year awards. Who is the only coach to win more? I will add that the award was established in
1: 1967. Okay, 1967 is when it began. So the inclination is to think of Wooden. How many years during that street, that stretch from 67 to 75 might he have not lost a game? There were several of them that would encompass the, the, the Alcindor years and the Walton years. So did they tire of giving him Coach of the Year awards? It's hard for me to imagine it isn't him. And because that guess feels so obvious, if I don't guess it and it's right, I'm going to feel terrible. So I'm going to go Wooden. Uh, Brandon is going to go Jay Wright. Bubba, where are you going to go?
0: I'm kind of with you on the same thing. With with the caveat being 67, there's enough of Wooden years in there where he was so dominant. I just feel like they had to have been
1: voting for him then, so I'm going Wooden as well. Yeah, unless... I mean, I don't know what the wooden fatigue factor was on the voting, but like, who else would they have been voting for in those years? He would have had multiple unbeaten national champions in that time. So it's kind of hard for me to think it isn't him. And yet, I don't know how sneaky Cam is, but it seems like such an obvious guess that a sneaky Cam would have changed it up. Talk to me.
4: Correct answer is John Wooden. He won it five times in seven years from 67 to 73. Bob Knight with three, a couple people with two. Coach K has zero, as does
1: Jay Wright. Coach K has zero, Zero. as does Jay Wright. And Gino has nine on the women's side. Okay, yeah, that would seem to be an an obvious one over there. By the way, I mentioned that Hembo isn't here. Does anyone know where he is? At one point yesterday, he and I were texting about something else entirely and then all of a sudden, up, up popped on his wife's Instagram feed a picture of Hembo with Jason Kelsey. Yeah, what the heck? What is going on? So what, I Where be- is
4: he? I believe Sal Powell was honored for an award last night, and I guess some of the Eagles players were there, so Hembo was there too because he's tight with Sal Powell, and he took a picture with Kelsey. When you say Hembo
1: is tight with Sal Powell,
4: I mean he has to be. He was at the event.
1: No, I don't know that. I don't know that he has to be. I've never I have no reason to believe that Hembo has a particular relationship with Sal Palantonio. Do you? Have you ever heard him mention it? I, I Sal has been here to do get up with us a few times. I've never seen the two of them sort of go off and chat like they're close buddies. I don't think Hembo has a relationship with Sal Palantonio. I really don't.
4: I think Sal Pal probably just loves his stats so much and was like, I got to have my number one stat guy there or something.
1: I don't know. He was there, though. I think Hembo just has so little to do in his life socially. You think he snuck into Sal Pal's achievement award ceremony? I think there's a chance of that. Yes, I do. Or I think he may have, I don't mean he snuck in, he's not Connor Stallions like sneaking onto the sidelines at Central Michigan. But I think what's possible is that he heard about it and then himself reached out to say, hey, you know, I got some days off I need to use before the end of the year. Uh, Philadelphia is my hometown. This will give me a chance to come to town. Hey, I'd love to come to the Sal thing. And everyone was too uncomfortable to say, you know, this is really something that we should be inviting you. You shouldn't be talking your way into. That's what I think happened here.
4: Yeah, I assume that's right. I just wonder if Hembo's about to make an appearance on the uh, Kelsey Brothers podcast.
1: That would really. Could you imagine him coming on there and giving a bunch of stats? Hi, guys. I I would think Travis would like him because he's the only person who doesn't know anything about Taylor Swift. Like, he would be the only one who might interview Travis Kelsey this week and say, you know, I don't care at all about the Taylor Swift stuff. Let's talk about your numbers in the red zone. Uh, Bubba, you good there as
0: well today? I'm just having trouble understanding the timing of this because my understanding of Hembo is, as we've said many times, there's literally nothing he loves more than baseball. Right. And I'm pretty sure there was a World Series game last night. Yes. So not only was he at an event, supposedly, where he couldn't watch the game, he also was not even here today to be on Get Up and Greenie to talk about the game. For the supposed his favorite sport. In the entire world, what's going on here? This, these should be blacked out
1: dates where he's not doing anything. I don't understand. I don't understand this. I what, agree with you. What's completely. going on here? I, I don't know if he was able to watch the game last night. The Rangers blank the Diamondbacks. They finish this postseason 11-0 and on the road, and they win the World Series. Congratulations to them. Congratulations to Bruce Bochy, who has got to be considered one of the great managers of all time. They hire Bochy. They go 90-72 and 72 and win the championship in his first year. For those of you who haven't been following this, they won 68 games last year. They hire Bochy, they win 90 games this year and win the World Series. The 68 wins, the worst record in a season before winning the World Series in the history of baseball. Now, it should be pointed out they made a lot of acquisitions. So it was not the same team by any means. It was not just the manager who was added. But one way or another, the facts are the facts. They won it all. Bubba, Jacob deGrom yep. had absolutely no role in it. No, well, he had a role. And yet he gets What role did he have in it? He had a few wins. I mean, he played he well a, in April. He had a very few wins. <laughs> those, those April wins mattered. And 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 Max Scherzer, how do you, the Met fan, feel about Jacob Degrom and Max Scherzer getting World Series rings? Um, i I'm 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 happy for Jake. I mean, it's.
0: I have no ill will for Jacob. I I love DeGrom. He's one of my favorite players. I think he's really the best pitcher I've ever seen other than Pedro. So, I mean, if anything, I still just feel feel bad for him because he goes to another team. I'm glad he was outside of the NL. He goes to a team, and he gets hurt immediately, and then they win a World Series. So, I mean, I'm sure he'll even say he can't claim a World Series ring. I mean, I— I mean, He technically pitched, whatever, seven games this year. But, um, yeah, I, I'm, I love DeGrom, and I, I wish him well. And, um, you know, if anything, what, what, I, what I take out of this is it just takes me back to 2015 when the Mets were there. The, the Rangers did what they needed. They, they were there, and they needed to win. The Mets had the lead every game of 2015. The Mets need to take, needed to take advantage when they were
1: there, and they blew it, and they haven't been back since. And it's killing us. I, I'll tell you the thing that should be killing Hembo. Hembo sat here and tried to tell us that Bryce Harper was the new Reggie Jackson. He did say that. And in that same postseason, the team that wins the World Series features Corey Seager, who joins Reggie Jackson as the only players to win World Series MVPs with two different teams. No matter how right Hembo is about most things, when it really matters, he's always wrong. We'll be right back.
0: Thanks for listening to Greeny, the podcast. You can listen live each weekday morning at 10 Eastern on ESPN radio or watch the show through the watch tab on the ESPN app. Also catch Greeny on Get Up weekday mornings at eight on ESPN and also available wherever you get your podcasts.